Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Those are really dependent on market timing. You don't want to miss time because you can lose your shirt and more if you miss time on a big asset class. But if you buy with cash flow in mind, you'll be sitting pretty. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with $1 million to $100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're going to help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're going to help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're going to be allowed to focus on the things that are most important, like business growth and operations, not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then the last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about their pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Kevin Dugan, how you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great, man. It's an absolute pleasure to be on here with you today. Well, it's a pleasure to be speaking with you too, and I appreciate that. A little bit about Kevin. He left his full-time W-2 tech sales job in September of 2019, and now he's doing real estate full-time. He's got seven-plus years of experience in real estate. He's got a personal portfolio of 25 single-family rentals, and he's a general partner and a limited partner on a 208-unit. He's based in Los Angeles. With that being said, Kevin, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? So you kind of hit all those bullet points on the head. I've been in real estate for a little bit of time now, but traditional story, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad back in the day, got inspired to run a business. Real estate was kind of the foundation. And then I bootstrapped that weekends and nighttime while working that high paying tech sales job. And then now I run a vertically integrated real estate firm based out of Chicago, but 100% remote from Los Angeles. So we have property management, general construction, investments, and it's all based on cash flow and rental properties. Please talk more about your vertically integrated company. Number one, it's a lot of work to create something from scratch out of state. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of people out there, property management is definitely a challenging aspect of the business, but essential. It doesn't get as much notoriety as some of the other elements like raising capital or finding the deal, but that's a strong component of what we do. We self-manage all the properties and the properties for our clients. Also to add additional value, the general contracting component is really critical because that's how you buy a discount and then rehab and create value into the property. Mm -hmm. So that's something that also is another component. And then the last is more the fun part of finding the deal, presenting to investors, and actually nurturing client relationships to help them meet their financial goals. So we have all those components in-house. You live in Los Angeles. The company is in Chicago, correct? Yep, that's correct. And the company manages your own single-family rentals, plus I think I just heard you also manage your clients' properties, correct? Yep, that's and correct. how many properties is your company managing? It's about 50 right now. All in Chicago? All in Chicago. What's your connection to Chicago? I don't have a real connection initially, but my friend who started me in real estate eight years ago now, he was from Gary, Indiana. He approached me and asked me if I wanted to flip houses out there in Chicago. I said, the numbers make sense. Let's go for it. So we started that in 2012. Mm -hmm. Did that for about two years. It was very difficult to run a flipping business from across the country right off the bat. Yeah. And in 2015, I switched to rental properties. So okay. that's kind of the shift in, in towards what I'm doing now. You said you were working weekends and nighttime while having a sales job. Sales hours, at least from my experience, tend to be all over the place depending on when your clients are able to meet with you. Do you have a significant other? I do. I have a girlfriend. Did you have a girlfriend at the time? I did. Balancing that yeah. life. <laughs> Dynamic is challenging. Um, I'm a big Tony Robbins fan, and he has that kind of wheel of life distribution. And wasn't quite round, was it? No, no. It was <laughs> like you distribute more towards the work end. But I'd also seen a lot of lessons learned by it. It's not all about the work. 
the work will always be there. The money will come if you put in the effort and energy into the right space. Relationships are really important. So I was always cognizant of it, but maybe I couldn't give it my full attention. So mm -hmm. it's juggling act for sure. Challenging. Any tips for someone on a wheel that's a little lopsided right now for how to just get through that time knowing that eventually that wheel will smooth out a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So one big thing in life in general is communication. So if you are able to communicate effectively your current state, and maybe this state is a temporary transition to your significant other, your friends, your family, they're understanding that everybody has different types of hustles that are going on. So communication is really big, but also just effective scheduling. Try to block out specific times where you can hammer out specific projects or jobs. And I still struggle with this right now. But having specific blocks where you can accomplish goals allows you to frame your 24 hours every day a little bit more structured. Let's talk about the deals. 25 single-family rentals over a period of, what, six or so years? Yeah, so the rentals started in March of 2015, so about five and a half years. About five years, okay. Yeah. You have them in Chicago. Tell us about how you qualified Chicago. I heard how you got introduced to the Midwest, but how did you qualify for Chicago, and why did you double and triple and quadruple down on the Chicago market? So Chicago is a massive metro. My general advice, generally speaking, is follow the numbers and follow the people. And that's a moving target right now, especially with everybody's relationship to COVID and the work mm -hmm. at home relationship. So people should, number one, focus on demographics, like where is the best population growth, job growth, where are wages going up, where is crime going down, the traditional stuff. Chicago doesn't necessarily fit that mold. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. People are leaving Chicago. <laughs> they are, but I invest in the suburbs of Chicago, and I specifically invest in Section 8 housing. So it's been one of those elements where Chicago is the third largest metro in the U.S. It has a massive railway that goes through a lot of Illinois. There's a lot of major corporate headquarters there. So technically, yes, there is an exodus, but it was slower. That speed may be increasing now. But a lot of what we do is kind of outside of the traditional Chicago mentality. It's like suburbs of Chicago. We found that we buy rental properties out there that cash flow very, very well and perform above the 1% rule. And it's just a really solid target market that we're in within the large metro of Chicago. Let's talk about the first deal. And then I want to ask you about the last deal that you've purchased, single family home-wise. So the first deal, what were the numbers? So the first deal, way back in the day with my first business partner, we were buying at 50 putting about 50 all in and, and selling at 170. So fix mm -hmm. and flips. Okay. So the 25 single family rentals, that wasn't your first hold though. That was a flip, right? Yeah. yeah Sorry. So I didn't communicate correctly. Tell us about the first of the 25 that you currently have in your portfolio, that purchase. Got it. So still have it today. It's appreciated in value, but cash flows really, really well. So just holding on to it. That particular property purchased at 75000 and it was a traditional loan. So I didn't feel adventurous enough to start rehabs and go through the whole construction process again because it is technical and not being on site requires a lot of trust. But that property I bought, quote unquote, turnkey, it ended up being more of like a stick on a pig type situation. And that's hence the motivation for bringing in my own construction crews. So 75000 I rented out for 1650 at mm -hmm. that time. That's pretty good. That's yeah, really good. And that's Section 8, you said? Section 8. 
Okay. What are the challenges associated with Section 8, if any at all? It's definitely a more technical manage, for sure. And the world is about people. Everything in this world and life is about people. So you have to understand that there's a gradient to everybody on that program. There are those who are taking advantage of it, which you want to avoid. There are those who are kind of stuck and lost. But there are a lot of people who need that program. Seniors with disabilities, single-family mothers with some sort of illness or many children. There's a lot of reasons why people would need assistance from the government where you need that help to be able to get back on your feet to gain more momentum to live the life that you want to live. Mm -hmm. So it's very detailed and like really knowing who the person is, reading between the lines of what their credit shows and determining whether they're going to be a good household and family that will take care of the place for a long time. When you say reading in between the lines, that's got to be an art plus a science. So take a page of Tony Robbins' book, right? It's got to be an art and science. So can you educate us on the art and science of that? So there's simple items as presentation. How does a person carry themselves? When they drive up to the house, is their car in shambles? Are they looking like they're in shambles? Are their kids wild? Or are they like well put together? Are they polite? Are they respectful? Do they seem like a person that would treat the home like a great place? And then, of course, you ask a lot of questions about their background, like why they're moving. You get referrals to confirm what's going on. You want to make sure that their story fits, and then you want to make sure that any red flags are covered. So if there's any types of potential evictions, that's a huge one. You don't want to go through that process, especially in a non-friendly eviction state like Chicago. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's a place, especially right now, that eviction moratoriums, That'll last six months or a year. So Mm -hmm. it's really having a a conversation with the individual and just seeing like, hey, what's their circumstance? How eager are they to move? Why are they moving? And then making sure that there aren't any holes in their story. You bought that in 2015. How many times have you turned it over for a new tenant? That particular property, I want to say we've turned over either once or twice. Once or twice. Okay. So that's great, I would think, because that's got to be the main expense. And I did some quick math. The 1650 divided by 75000 I mean, that's a 2.2% on the cash flow rule. So you crushed it on that. What, if any, challenge has come up for this property in particular since you've owned it the longest as a buy and hold? So as I mentioned before, lipstick on a pig. That particular property on surface level looks fantastic. New floors, newer cabinets, backsplash, painted rooms, semi-dated bathroom, but fairly clean. But come to find out there are a lot of uh, issues hiding behind the walls. So (laughs) that particular property is built in 50, 56. And with a lot of older homes, people need to look out for galvanized pipes. Those will probably break around the 50 to 60 year point. So you want to make sure you get all the galvanized out whenever you can. But this one had a bigger issue where the sewer line collapsed. So the water's backing up throughout the entire house. We had to like excavate. We had to tear up all the new tile in the kitchen. This is a couple of years into it. And basically replaced that main line out to the street level. Wow. So that was a adventure, especially during the wintertime. Especially the what? During the wintertime. Oh, man. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Chicago's Chicago winter. winter. Chicago winter. So... Lessons learned. And then on top of it, that house had termites. So we started to see little holes up in the ceiling. Come to find out there's like a massive termite infection on that property. So that's one of those places where 
definitely have a third party inspector come in. I still remember when I bought the house, stand down the doors, the doors didn't close. Like I'm very big picture at times. And those mm -hmm. details missed me when I was looking through this quote unquote beautiful house. So you didn't have a third party inspector? On that one, no. No, okay. For anybody first buying stuff, definitely get it. <laughs> How much did the sewer line collapsing and resolving cost? Fortunately, at that time, we had an in-house crew, so it was probably about 5000 But it was more the massive headache of having mm -hmm. a tenant in there. We would get them into a hotel. It's like a three-day process. And that was just the changing out of the sewer line. That wasn't the initial exploration of why is there mold constantly behind the sink? Yeah. What's going on behind the sink? And there's other wall over here. So it took us some time mm -hmm. to decipher what was going on there. But eventually found it. Tell us about how you already had an in-house crew on your first deal. Now, I know that you did fix and flips, so that's probably where it originated from. But we just talk about that evolution? So let me kind of take a step back. The first two deals I purchased were turnkey. The third one I purchased, I'm like, okay, I prefer to start building equity into these deals if I buy them at a discounted price. So we started sourcing out all kinds of different contractors. I've gone through probably at least 10 at this point. Don't buy anybody from Home Depot or not Home Depot, Craigslist. Stay away from Craigslist <laughs> for the most part. I can't say that completely, but Craigslist has been a bad experience. So this crew that was able to do this line, they were actually inherited from a GC that was a referral to us. That GC ended up moving to Arizona, left his crews, and then I kind of inherited them. So I've been working with them ever since. Hmm. So they were able to help us out on this one. But it's a process. Definitely, if there's any type of red flags with your contractor, give them one warning. Never overpay them past the work that they've done. And make sure that you have that leverage of the money will keep them motivated. What's your worst Craigslist experience? There have been various. There's... Some is just more so the quality of work, especially doing things remotely is pretty challenging. But we had one guy that he spoke a big game. And that's one thing about Chicago. People talk fast, but maybe don't perform the way that they say they can talk about. And a lot of people like contractors in general say that they can do everything. And that's an initial red flag. Like, okay, you can't do everything. That's very difficult to do. But we had one guy who basically was falsifying the work that he did sending us bad pictures or pictures that made it look like he was doing, but like it wasn't actually installed. You're asking for prepayments beforehand. This was one of my business partners got hit by this and he ended up stealing like close to $5,000 in labor and materials. So mm. tough. Let's talk about the last single family home that you purchased. What are the numbers on that? The one that I just closed on is an interesting project. We have three we're closing on right now, but it's, 40-90% completed. It's just the original owner didn't finish the electrical to code. So we're buying it at 150 or 165. We're planning to put about 50 into it and sell it at 290. So it should be a really quick turnaround, like literally like three weeks in, out, list it back on the market and sell it. Okay, so that's a flip. Yeah. Oh, rental property? Yeah, rental property. Got it, got it. So on the rental one that we have right now, my client actually picked up an amazing deal. I was under contract for it at 72000 It fell through because it was right at the beginning of COVID. Literally all the banks froze up because they couldn't trade their paper anymore. And because of that, another person put an offer. That deal fell through. So my client came in and she offered 50000 cash and got it at 50000 We put forty into it, so all in 100 and we're going to get about nineteen fifty in rent on that. What about the last one that you bought, the 25th property in your portfolio? 
let me think about that one. You got a lot of transactions. I get it. <laughs> yeah, at least track of them at some point. You're uh, a big picture guy. <laughs> I really am, yeah. <laughs> Which is the difficult part of being a vertically integrated company across the country. So mm-hmm. the last one we bought was just a small townhouse. It was like 52000 on that super light rehab. We changed our investment philosophy as opposed to doing deeper rehabs right now in the current state of economy to just kind of like doing a two-tier, almost what you see in multifamily. Mm-hmm. So we bought a 52. It's currently rented at 1466. Okay. And what do you mean by two-tier? So you can go all out with the rehab. I really love to definitely solidify the infrastructure. So like all the electrical, plumbing, I want to make sure that's just done the first time. HVAC, roof, like all the major systems, you want to solidify that. But then there's like how far you can go with the kitchens, how far you can go with the flooring. So as opposed to doing like flooring throughout the entire place, we're like, okay, let's just do flooring in the main areas, carpet in the bedrooms. Instead of doing like super sick cabinets and backsplash in the kitchen, let's hold off on that type of rehab for phase two on a five-year period if we want to like sell it as like a portfolio or something like that. So we started a sticky backsplash from Amazon, which gets the message across for the kitchens, kind of resurfacing kitchen cabinets. So just ways to cut costs where maybe it doesn't add as much benefit. But we've already done the major rehab where the house is still above. Creates a good energy for the resident to want to live there for a long time. Will you give some other specific examples of how you're saving money on the rehabs but still making them look good from an aesthetic standpoint? Yeah, for sure. Vinyl is really big. I highly recommend anybody who has a rental. Vinyl nowadays is slam dunk. It's pretty much bulletproof. So you can go that route. Let's see. Same paint. As you're doing more and more rehab, the easiest thing to do to save on time, which is equivalent to money, is try and do repeated material costs. We paint every house the same color. Floors are all the same. Cabinets are all the same. So that just helps eliminate decision-making process. When it comes to vanities, you can actually pop off the top of the vanity if the actual structure is good. You can keep that with mirrors. You can put trim around the mirrors that we're finding. So there's a lot of ways you can kind of recycle the old infrastructure and allow for the house to have a nice resurfacing, but not spend brand new costs on it. That's really helpful. And looking at that deal compared to the first buy and hold, let's put aside the economy and a pandemic just for a moment. Let's put that aside. What if anything, did you change in your process from the very first buy and hold to the last buy and hold? I know one of the things is now you have a third-party inspector, but what else, if anything, has been changed? Just my level of education across the board has changed. So my understanding of general construction, like I, I never wanted to be a general contractor, but I understand the fundamentals pretty well. YouTube is a fantastic resource. For anybody out there, you can pretty much find anything. But what's changed is having people in place that can kind of take on those specific responsibilities so that I can take a step back and try and work on more of the bigger picture stuff. Still in a growing phase right now, but definitely have key team members that I can rely on to help push projects forward and, and make sure that they're getting done with the quality that we need to get done. Speaking of big picture, what's next for you? Right now, continuing to build out the residential turnkey business that we have since the product is good there's a lot of demand for what we have we have a firm belief that this product will perform well and be desirable through the current type of recession we're in but i'm also trying to think about where the world is changing long term 
especially as people's relationships with real estate is changing drastically. Office spaces are changing. Retail has been dying. It's going to come for a reform. Hotels are through a lot of distress. So there's a lot of commercial asset classes that I'd like to diversify into, but I need to not get not excited is a bad word, but be cautiously optimistic, mm-hmm. knowing that the world constantly goes through change. Taking a step back based on your experience, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? I'm really big on cash flow. I truly believe that people should buy based on how much income it produces as a foundation. And you can make more money as like a flip or a development, but those are really dependent on market timing. You don't want to miss time because you can lose your shirt and more if you miss time on a big asset class. But if you buy with cash flow in mind, you'll be sitting pretty. About how much cash flow does 25 properties earn on an annual basis, buy and hold at this level? Net or gross? Net. Net. There's leverage on these, so it's roughly in the twelve to $15,000 range. It's complicated because I have it under multiple entities. <laughs> so I made things more complicated, like, Way too big picture. Should have yeah. been simple. So about 12K a month or so. Yeah. $180,000 a year is a great nest egg, that's for sure. And some people might think, well, okay, that's great. But what's your exit? Because are they appreciating? And if not, then do you just never plan to exit? And clearly, 180K, then maybe there's no reason to exit. But is there an exit plan? Yeah, there's definitely an exit. The beauty about real estate, when you have enough cash flow for your time, that's where you get a lot of power. And I've gained my most momentum since doing real estate full-time. So that's number one. Free up your time, you free up a lot. But yield is something that will continue to be searched for, especially in this unknown economic climate. So it's very realistic to group a set of these together as like a portfolio sale. Like I see a lot of it going on right now where people are just grouping together a single family home. So I never planned to exit out of this cycle. This would be a great cycle to exit on. I like the cash flow for stability, but there are countries looking for high interest rates, high yielding performing grouped properties. They can also be resold to other people. And the tax benefits are also beneficial as well. So you get a lot mm-hmm. of appreciation by just holding. And then there's a lot of benefits to holding real estate past selling it immediately. I love the tax benefits almost as much as I love dogs. It sounds like you got a, a cute dog in your room too. So that's. <laughs> he, he has a sensitive stomach, so I'm not sure what's going on. Oh, man. I raise you a sensitive stomach and see you two sensitive stomachs with my dog just has a really sensitive stomach. So he, he's got twice as sensitive as yours, I guarantee you. He's on a hunger strike right now. It's the only dog that I know of that does hunger strikes. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? first quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting-edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com. All right, best ever deal you've done? A more recent one. Pushed on it for a long, long time. I put over asking price. Basically, fix and flip. Bought for 125 put a hundred thousand into it and 
got under contract first day for three fifty. So three and a half months, really solid product. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? Big on education. I really believe that is something that we all need and it's something that I can initially contribute and I like to help people just open their eyes to the power of real estate. How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? I'm definitely more active on LinkedIn and Instagram. You can find me at Kevin K. Dugan, D-U-G-A-N, or shoot me a text, 310-988-5081. Kevin, thanks for being on the show, talking about how you've built your portfolio, getting into the specifics of your vertically integrated company, how that came about, the amount of money that is made on deals and some lessons learned between the first buy and hold and the 25th buy and hold. Appreciate you being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and talk to you again soon. Thanks a lot, Joe. Have a great one.